Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12-hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. Now, here's the show's host with the most, Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us, another big show coming your way. Let's get into the news though quickly and uh, it was a weekend that saw Cam Waters claim the headlines, winning two of the three races in the Townsville Super Sprint. Waters won races 17 and 19, while championship leader Shane Van Gisbergen won race 18 in the supercars at Townsville. The final race of the weekend was the most exciting. Waters and Van Gisbergen battling it out right until the very end with less than a second separating the two, rounding out the podium. A further half second behind was Will Davison. It was also a pretty good weekend too for the Shell V-Power team. Cam Waters uh, just wrapped with the result and it appeared that he may have blown his lead when Van Gisbergen took front position on lap five. However, some smart strategy from the Tickford driver when the safety car came out allowed them and him to retake the lead and hang on to the win. Well done to Tickford on a, uh, on a fairly successful weekend up there at Townsville. We also have uh, a revised date too on the Supercars calendar. Uh, of course, it was uh, announced last Thursday that the City Motorsport Park event would be pushed back, uh, confirming that the planned start for uh, August the 20th would not go ahead, say that due to the current COVID restrictions and the like, that won't be happening. As now, a revised date has not been set for the Sydney event. Supercars, however, have announced that Queensland Raceway will take its place and host its first Supercars race since 2019. The Victorian-based teams go are going home, which brings with it a heightened risk of the current border closures between Queensland and Victoria. Supercars broadcast agreement states the competition must have 12 events minimum for the year. The Queensland Raceway event will be the 8th of the season. It's understood that the Bend may have lodged its formal bid to acquire supercars. Circuit owner Sam Shahin, when questioned on the matter, did little to deny the rumours, saying in a statement, I cannot confirm or deny any speculation. We are in the business of motorsport and will diligently explore any opportunity involving the sport. The Bend Motorsport Park falls under the Peregrine Corporation, which is the largest company in South Australia and within the top 10 in the whole country. To Formula One news, uh, Lewis Hamilton has claimed a controversial win in the British Grand Prix. Hamilton and Max Verstappen wasting no time battling for front position in the early part of the race, going wheel to wheel and eventually making contact, sending Verstappen into a tyre barrier at high speeds ending the race. Hamilton would go on to claim the win despite a 10 second penalty. In second was Charles Leclerc for Ferrari, almost four seconds back, and Valtteri Bottas, Hamilton's teammate, rounding out the podium a further seven seconds back. As a result of the heavy impact on lap one, Verstappen was taken to hospital, later cleared of any major injuries. Red Bull team principal Christian Horner, pretty happy that Verstappen was okay, but not happy with Hamilton's tactics. In other F1 news, McLaren CEO Zach Brown missed the weekend's action at Silverstone after a positive COVID test. 
Brown was one of three McLaren staff who returned a positive result during the team's pre-event screening. We move to MotoGP and Franco Morbidelli is likely to miss the next four rounds of the MotoGP season. Last year's championship runner-up aggravated an existing injury only days out from the Dutch Tourist Trophy last month, the Dutch TT, resulting in him having surgery on his knee. The initial assessment of eight weeks rehabilitation was set to have him sidelined for the next two championship races after the summer break. All right, let's kick it off with a uh, good day to Richard Crowell from the racetalk.com. Crowley, hello to you. Hello, my lockdown friend. How are you? <laughs> we are. We're lockdown buddies, aren't we? <laughs> it's going It's going so well. Uh, for our friends uh, over in on the Radio Show Limited's RS1 on Radio Le Mans, we are basically locked down on nearly just about the entire yeah, eastern seaboard of Australia. About 17 million people now, I think, yeah. casually, so just 18 months South, into this drama. But anyway. South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and from what I hear, big possibility Queensland in the next day or two as oh, well, if numbers whole, remain as they are. So it'll be interesting the whole to see how that goes. On the upside, what we did have while everyone was stuck at home on the weekend was some bloody good motor racing. Wasn't it a terrific weekend? The second Townsville event, sprint racing, uh, there were tired deg. There were three wide battles for the lead going down into turn one. Um, some really big performances too. Some seasons, I think, turned around perhaps in a single weekend. So what a cool way to watch supercars racing. And they they got that round away, which was so important for the championship yeah. just to get one up their sleeve, given everything going on here and what happens for the rest of the season and the uncertainty around that. So it was great for supercars. It was a great weekend on the box. And uh, I'm looking forward to picking the brains of our guest tonight because he had a super weekend up there in sunny Townsville. Well, he did. He finished off really well on the Sunday of week one up in Townsville, qualifying third and finishing seventh in that second race on the weekend, and then came back for the Super Sprint weekend and had three top 10 finishes, including top fives. I love saying this guy's name because I know we're going to have a great chat when we do. His name is Todd Hazelwood from Brad Jones Racing, and he joins us now. G'day, Todd. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic. Great to be back on the show talking to you, chaps. And, um, you know, it sucks obviously not being able to do this at the racetrack while you guys are in lockdown, but yeah, like you said, it's just great to go racing again and, and get some racing while we can during this sort of uncertain period again. Um, it's crazy to think, you know, it's over 12 months ago that we were just back racing in supercars and you know, it's scary to think that we're sort of back to that same position. But yeah, just grateful to be on track and, you know, doing it in sunny Townsville was pretty cool. As Crosley said, the second weekend in Townsville was effectively one to bank for supercars in case things go haywire down the track. They still want to try and get 12 rounds away was there any backlash from the teams and the drivers about doing consecutive weekends in townsville or everyone just understood oh i think it was two thumbs up from everyone within the community um and you know we were just so desperate to go racing we're fully aware of the situation that lies ahead moving forward um and, and you know as we all we want all want to go racing um there's not one person in pit lane that wasn't disappointed racing on the street circuit of townsville Obviously, the one thing, it is very tough on the crews being away from home and in particular for those who have family and kids and things like that. But, um, you know, from my point of view, I was you know, probably a bit selfish because I was excited, um, you know, a track that I really enjoy and, uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't have been happier. And, you know, obviously now we go into a similar position where obviously we've got teams now back in lockdown in Melbourne. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward. So, yeah, just grateful we could have two weeks worth of great racing, I thought. Well, and great for you as well, my friend, because the first 15 races of this year's championship hadn't been particularly kind to your side of the Brad Jones Racing Garage. 
first 15 races, two top tens, one of them a 10th, I think, race one at Bathurst, and then the next eighth at Sandown, if memory serves. Outside of that, pretty slim pickings. But then you've just gone and rattled off seventh, ninth, fifth, and fourth in four straight races in Townsville. So has this been a massive turnaround for you guys? Was there something you nailed there that you weren't doing before? Or was this just a process of building up to a point where the results were bound to flow? Look, there's a, a few parts to it, I suppose. Um, you know, obviously, as you highlighted, it's been incredibly frustrating this year. I just felt like there's been a huge element of bad luck. And I don't believe in bad luck or, or luck in general. I believe, you, you know, you work hard and you, you make your own luck in this game. But it's to a point that I just felt like we couldn't do anything right. We're having either failures or getting tipped out or just the qualifying in particular was our biggest weakness. You know, we have, we've had a pretty fast car. There was a stat that when you need Tony come up with, um, that was basically, I think, 80% of the races we've had more than top 10 or top five race pace, but we've had two top 10 race results. So that's obviously infuriating from our point of view. No, the pace is there, but we're just starting so far back in the pack that it makes it impossible. And we had that unfortunate um, status of passing the most cars in pit lane, and that's just simply because we're not qualifying well enough. Um, so you're going to Townsville, obviously part A was knowing that we'd, need to qualify well and we knew that our race car would be strong so you know getting that getting over that hurdle was uh, a big thing for me and, and the Townsville v1 um you know obviously then then going out in the shootout and putting on third was uh, a cool highlight but somewhat not what well, wasn't really part of our plan you know it was just sort of just get to the 10 and race from there so to be third was really special and then you know just backing it up knowing that we had a fast fast race car all year uh, and that really I suppose showed um, particularly in the, in the second round of Townsville in a super sprint format, you know, being able to race against those front, those front group of cars um, and holding our own um, and, yeah, getting some great results, which is, uh, you know, great, a great weight off the shoulders. And, and like you said, it's just all these little things that all oh, year you can see the potential there, um, but just not getting the end result. So to finally see all that come together and get those awesome results was fantastic for everyone involved because it's been a tough slog and, um, it, you know, it, this game either gets you down or you, you know, you get back up and you keep fighting and get ready for the next one. It's something I, I'd love you to go into a little bit more detail if you can. And we hear this a lot in supercars because qualifying is so important. The category is so close and so competitive. If you drop two tenths in one of those 10 minute qualifying sessions, it's the difference between you lining up 20th and quite literally fifth. It's so close yeah. and so competitive. So we often hear you guys, you're chatting to Larco or somebody in the lane going, oh, we, we don't have a great qualifying car. What is a great qualifying car? What, what are you lacking compared to, say, uh, your teammate Nick Perkat, who often finds himself in fourth, fifth, sixth, and has done so this year? What makes a good qualifying car for you that's the difference between what we saw last weekend and what we've seen for the first six events of the season? Yeah, it's a good point, Krause. Um, And that's something that obviously I've been really trying to dissect and really finally anal- analyse to try and improve myself. And um, yeah, particularly the last couple, like Darwin in particular, I felt like we've made a good improvement, but just lacking those last couple of tents to, in particular to Nick, who had, had probably unlocked that last little element that we've been looking for. We made a good good shift in um, performance after our Winston test day, I thought. Um, so that was positive. Again, trying some new ideas, um, a bit more in particular, how to switch the tyre on. Um, so I felt like that was something we did really well last year. You know, we, you know, me to Nick, we're, we're pretty close on times, and particularly last year, whereas this year has been a big separation. Um, there's a few different, or was one key part in the car um, that was probably different from 
you know, when we last raced in Townsville this year, before we went into this weekend, so we actually changed that back just to ensure the car was completely the same as last year. So there's a little development part that probably didn't realise it was being powerful to me. Um, whether or not that's the case moving forward, um, well, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to now is going to the next event to make sure it's not a fluke and we can back it up and keep this form going. Because um, I feel like this part was probably just giving me a little bit of lack of feel, particularly with the new tyre. Um, and you, when you're leaning on the new tyre, obviously you, you're generally burning around in practice. You've got an old tyre on and you're trying to tune the car, preempting what a new tyre will do. And you put those changes in the car and you feel like, oh, I'm pretty happy with my lap. And he, as you say, you come into the time boards, and you look at the screen and you're a couple of tenths away from where you feel like you should be. And uh, it's so frustrating. So I felt like the little componentry change we made for Townsville, just reverting back to what we knew worked last year, um, may or may not have been all the difference, but you know, I'm certainly felt like it contributed. And you know, hopefully that's the case moving forward for us. Now I'm just a punter who loves watching the game. And I understand it a little bit because I get to talk to you guys every week and you sort of pick up bits and pieces. But what I don't understand, I think you, you touched on a little bit there in your chat. You said there that Nick seems to have unlocked something that has obviously helped him a lot better this year than you. From my point of view, both cars, for all intents and purposes, are exactly the same. There'll be small modifications, obviously, to suit each other's driving, but they're pretty much got the same componentry and the same everything. How does Nick get to unlock it? but you don't, or you don't find out what Nick's unlocked and that gets put onto you. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> Look, that's a very unique element of supercars. Um, there's obviously, we've got a, a very similar rule book and in particular in the team, we've got four cars, we've got the same, share the same componentry, but the unique thing with supercars, you can change one thing and you could have a hundred things or if not more parameters supporting that one element you've changed. Um, and that could either give you half a tenth or give you, could give you three tenths. So, Although that we've got the same car and same componentry, we do set up the car slightly different, you know, mainly trying to suit the way, uh, you know, the car needs to be for yep. a certain driver. So it really comes down to what you roll the car out with and then you're trying to massage it from there. Um, and you know, what we've found this year that my car in particular has been very sensitive to the smallest changes. And that can either, you feel like you're just outside of your setup window, you're trying to make a small tweak and then you're just out of it again. So we, we felt like we've just been fluctuating just outside of our window all year in particular for qualifying or especially when you you do one qualifying session you go straight into the next one and go oh we know what to do now and you make a change and then we go from one extreme to the other um so it gets frustrating when you're just not quite there um and i felt like as i said it from the winston test day we i felt i felt like we narrowed down our window of changes of what to do um and now you know we've like, as I said, we made a, another significant change for Townsville, and I think that's helped me more than anything, just from a driver fuel point of view, um, getting some fuel back in the car and working out where the tyre is. And, and that's particularly when you're, when you're leaning on that new tyre for that one lap, you need, to, you need to nail it and you need to be pushing the limits because you can't, you can't be afforded to just doing a nice, tidy lap. That, you know, doing a nice sort of 95% lap, that puts you 10th when you've got the potential Good. to be in the top five. You know, you, everyone's pushing so hard, so need to be on it and you need to have enough feel to know where your limit is so you don't overstep it, <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. So it's a very complicated thing to, to understand. Um, when you're in this position within a team, it's when you're on the backside, it's furiating because you can literally see your, your car's doing it. You know, when you see your teammate up there doing a the job and you go, you go to yourself, well, why, how are we missing it? Um, so it's, it's almost um, a double-edged sword when you have a teammate because – when you're both at the back and you're struggling, you think, oh, we'll work together. And then when you're, when you're still battling, you see your teammate going well, that almost rubs the salt in the wound a little bit. So 
Um, yeah, from my point of view, obviously this weekend, it was good confidence, to, you know, just personally for me to a bit of a shot in the arm, knowing that, hey, I can still do this. I can still drive a car in the limit and, you know, around a really tough track to do so. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to come away from this weekend and sort of reset the mindset for, for the next one now. I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, mate, with my crazy supercar 101. Um, but <laughs> another phrase that's been mentioned a lot, especially with the, the different types of tyre compound that get rolled out, this season, we've had the super, super duper soft that's been dropped for a couple of rounds. And we'll, we'll see that again later this season. The phrase switching the tire on gets talked about a lot. And, and you mentioned it there. And some guys get it turned on really quickly. There are other analogies I could use for this that I won't go into yep. in this family show. <laughs> I could only um, imagine. <laughs> but, but feel free to confirm if that is actually the case. Um, and and some, some teams battle to get their tire switched on. And we all know that in supercars especially, um, it's you know, it's lap one, maybe lap two on the tire and on a new qualifying run that is where you get the absolute best return from that new set of rubber. Now I've done five Hyundai XL drive days and I can tell the difference between a cold tire and a hot tire and that's it. But what's it like for you at an elite level when the tire switches on? So just when we talk about it in commentary going, he's got to switch the tires on. What does that actually mean for you in the car? What's the difference between a tire that's turned off and one that is, if you pardon the phrase, turned on. Yeah, well, it's a very good point to, to an, analyse. Um, you know, when you've got a, a tyre that's not switched on, you know where you need a break for a, a new tyre. So you, you've been practising around, you're sliding around on old tyres, you know, that, okay, my mark is here. I need to try and push the marker and practice on the new tyre in particular. To, you know, that, that's where the gain is. You obviously the first part where you hit the brake pedal. So you try and brake a little bit deeper. And when the tyre's not switched on, first thing you'll do is you'll start, you'll start locking, you'll get rear instability. And then the car's already unsettled getting to the corner because you're fighting on the brake pedal, you're, you're pulsating it because obviously we don't have ABS. And then all of a sudden, then you're, then you're struggling to get to the corner um, because the tyre's not gripping. Um, so then, and then because you, then, you're not gripping on the front, you're then trying to crack throttle to get the thing to turn, then you get snap oversteer. So it just, it really compounds from, um, from essentially from the time you hit the brake pedal to the time you get out of the corner. Mm. You, your issues are just magnified <laughs> when yeah. the tyre's not switched on. And that comes down to a lot of things. So I'll even start to the point of different batches, tyre codes in different batches. So Townsville 1, we had a t- different tyre code to Townsville 2. Um, and we saw massive difference in the way the tyre, um, the way the car was handling more, not so much the tyre, but just the car itself was handling it was totally different. Um, so you need to be aware of obviously what tyres you're putting on the car and that comes down to the tyre code. And then it comes down to a lot of things of bef- before you go out and qualifying. Do we want to, you know, start with a low pressure so it's good at the end of the lap, but you might sacrifice a bit at the start. Um, how you bring the tyre in. So we talk about phasing the tyre. You see the TickFit cars, they're out there and they're scrubbing the tyres like crazy, really working the tyres hard. And then you see a team like us at BGR, we're focusing a lot on braking and not a lot of sweeping, but swerving because we're trying to save the goodness of the tyre and use what we call the green of the tyre. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a lot of different analogies up and down pit lane and, yeah, it's certainly an art to get it right consistently. Um, like what we saw on a weekend, we could certainly get it working when, when the temperatures are hot, um, the circuit's abrasive. And, you know, for us, we felt like our one lap performance was good at Townsville last year. And it certainly showed again this week over the last two weekends that we could do the job pretty well. Um, so but doing it when we're in at uh, Tasmania, it's a short out lap, not a lot of UV. It's generally really cold and we're all at the back of the pack. So understanding the differences um but then how to get it right is that's the <laughs> that's the million dollar question within supercars good answer 
Yeah, good answer. We also, actually, the weekend was pretty good because we also got to really see the effect of downforce on a supercar yes. <laughs> in the Super 2 race. I can't remember who lost their back wing. Josh Fife. Josh, Josh Fife, yeah. poor fella. Man, that just affected that car. Shocking. I know that feeling all too well, and it is not a good feeling. <laughs> It'd be scary, wouldn't it? Because it is. You're just going along, especially where he was too, as a fairly high-speed corner, and then all of a sudden you just go to turn into it, and it just says, no, nope, you're not doing this. And to think it looks effortless in a car when you go through the little kink there at turn one. It's not like from our point of view, it's not even a corner because you've got so much grip on the car. And but then that just shows you the effect of downforce. You know, people keep saying, oh, we need to take the rear wings off supercars and make the racing interesting. Well, gee whiz, imagine taking a rear wing off and seeing the difference that that did just at turn one at Townsville. And yeah, I was, I've been unfortunate to lose a ring or a rear wing going to turn one at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park a couple of years ago. And oh, I remember that, that was just going in a straight line and the car just spun out. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Josh did a really good job not to hit anything because, uh, yeah, that's a pretty frightening moment. Yeah, at least there's a bit of runoff at Sydney Motorsport Park. Exactly. The, the, the <laughs> there, there was a tweet, I think, like there's a train in that park on the outside of the kink there at turn one, like he could have ended up parked in that. I yeah, think his exactly. rear wing did. He could have ended up at office works. Oh, <laughs> man, that was huge. Hey, um, let, let's talk big picture, mate. Uh, where where are you at from a career standpoint? I, I know the results haven't been as consistent as you like, but weekends like that certainly don't do you any harm, do they? And and even Mark Scaife mentioned it in the broadcast on Sunday, going, this is the performance that we've been expecting to see from Todd Hazelwood for some time, running up there at the front with your Van Gisbergens, your Wink Cup, your Waters, the established elite, and I use that in inverted commas, um, of the sport. So where are you at? Um, where are you at with, with dealing with Brad for, for long, longer-term deals? Um, and, and are you feeling confident in, in your career now? Do you feel like you're established enough that you're, you're part of the scenery now, you're part of the ongoing discussion, and you're not having to scrabble week in, week out to justify your place on the grid? Yeah, look, I think, you know, this year was definitely a big year for me personally. Um, obviously, I set myself in the Supercars Championship. You know, obviously, we got our first pole and first podium last year, and that was just sort of scraping, you know, the tip of the iceberg. You know, we want to, we want a lot more this year. So we, we come in feeling confident, feeling hungry. And obviously, yeah, the results this year certainly haven't shown that up until probably the last two weekends that we, you know, Last two weekends, the first time I've really felt racy all year, to be honest. Um, so we need to do more more weekends like that for sure. Um, I need to keep showing to everyone that um, I, you know, I can race hard and race against the best and be consistent, bring the car home clean, and and do the job that's required. So yeah, that's what I need to keep doing to obviously survive in this game. It's a cutthroat industry. There's only 24 gigs available, and you need to be the best. And um, you know, you need to keep doing that week in week out. So from my point of view, yeah, it's four years in and going into my fifth year next year. So, you know, now's the time to really show that I'm, I'm capable. I certainly believe I am. I, I certainly feel like I can run against the best if I've got the right opportunity and got all the ingredients there to go with it. You know, as we can um, all appreciate um, in this game, there's a lot of elements that go involved. Obviously, there's a lot of emphasis on the driver and the door, the name that's on that door. But at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of elements that go into making the cars go fast and, and getting the ultimate performance. So, you know, I'm very happy, obviously, with the team at BJR. They've given me a great car in, in, in crit- critical rounds um, and been able to get me some great results in, in the last uh, 18 months. So, obviously, as I said, unfinished business from my point of view. I still want a lot more. I want to be up, up there doing what I did on the weekend, running up against the guys at the front. And that's the way I'm only going to improve as well. When you're racing against those guys, you pick up the small differences and, 
And that's what's going to help me improve as a driver, um, being up against those guys week in, week out to see, you know, their art and their craft. And you can analyze it and watch the video and you can watch the races over and over again. But until you're out there in the hot seat driving it, that's, that's the only way you improve. So I've learned a lot, even just debrief with my, with my own self um, in the last couple of days, just sort of, you know, visualizing the other cars, seeing them in front and how they manage their tires and what different lines and curbs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that's what I'm trying to obviously extract the most out of. Um, and, you know, hopefully over the next couple of weeks or next, sorry, next couple of rounds, I can, um, you know, keep showing what I, what I did on the weekend and that's being competitive and doing the best job for the team. Well, I mean, you beat the goat of supercars in that final race. So, you know, you were fourth and he was sixth. So not a, not a bad outcome. I, I'm sure you've looked at the championship table, but it's pretty remarkable that, you know, a lot of people look at the difference between a good season and a not great season being like eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th in the championship, anything below top 10, you probably just forget about. But if you're in the 10 in supercar racing, you're in the mix. So Will Brown on a thousand and one points in 10th place. And all of a sudden you in 14th on 926. So you're less than 80 points, a race win out of the top 10 in the championship. So there's not, you know, a few more consistent results like that. And all of a sudden you're up there with the real heavy hitters on an overall season standpoint. And that changes the conversation again, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Look, and if we didn't have that power steer failure on that race one in Townsville, we yes. would have been right up in the mix. So that just shows you the difference, it, you know, just having a consistent weekend, you know, no faults. You know, so we had, we got pushed into all that carnage at lap one at Darwin, lost a heap of chunk of points there as well. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of instances where we've dropped a lot of big points out of nowhere. So, you know, we, you know, we're certainly on the, obviously on the back foot being, being 10th or better in the championship. That was our aim going into this season. We thought that was a realistic and, you know, thought that's a, a job well done. Um, if, if we can do that. So, no, we're still not off. We're not far off the target. You know, it's been a rocky start to the year, but there's no reason, um, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, there's a lot more racing to come for the remainder of 2021 with all the uncertainty that's going on. But, hey, there's still a lot of racing to go ahead yet. You mentioned the points are close and hopefully we can use the form that we had over the last couple of weeks to really stamp our authority moving forward, get some much-needed points, hopefully a few podiums, and, I'd, you know, obviously I'd love to try and get that first race win by the end of the season. Crowley, he's living the life of a rock star. When we first started interviewing this bloke years ago, four or five years ago, especially when he came to supercars, every day he'd be going into the workshop to work on the car and learn all that sort of stuff. And every other day, he'd be going out getting sponsorship and selling snags at Bunnings and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> now he's staying at a mate's place up in Bundaberg, avoiding the lockdowns of the rest of the world and just taking it easy. He's living the life of a rock star. I am, I am, and I've got the the world famous Bundy Rum factory just up the road. So that's pretty dangerous oh, lockdown, no. isn't it? No, <laughs> with, with four weeks until the next race, mate. That's, that's exactly dangerous, no, isn't no. It? It's um, I've been pretty lucky. Um, I'm actually living with my girlfriend's parents um, up here in Bundaberg, so well away from all the madness up here. And they're actually uh, a cart dealer, or they have got a cart shop up here. So been on heaps of laps in the go kart track up here, um, and local Bundaberg tracks. So yeah, it's been. Yeah, really lucky just to be avoiding all the lockdowns. I've, this is my 10th week away from home now. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool place to be, um, avoiding it all. Just hello, hello to your sister, Lauren, who I'm sure is listening from home. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Now, your significant other is fairly handy, handy go-karter by my understanding. Who, who's quicker? Well, I've, she's actually bet me in a race before um, in the oh, cards. Really? So Excellent. 
I, I've been keeping that one quiet till just now to you, to you guys. But um, <laughs> no, she's she's going really well. Um, yeah, she she loves her racing, and uh, yeah, it's it's really cool to to have a partner that probably loves racing just as much as what I do. So it's pretty cool having the same common interests, and we talk racing every day, and then we get pretty competitive on the kart track, and our our idea of going out for a date is going out to the go-kart track with two carts and um, just burning laps together. So it's pretty cool. I'm pretty lucky, I reckon. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, she's she was actually annoyed because she missed out on a race week with the double header that got announced. She was up in Townsville with me and she elected to stay with me, but she, she actually missed out on racing herself. <laughs> so um, I stitched her up. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun and, um, yeah, yeah, pretty lucky, as I said, I reckon, punching above my weight. That's yeah. very cool. Mate, before we uh, let you go, we're totally in the dark about what comes up next. Do you guys know? Is it is it Queensland? Queensland Raceway. Oh, look, I, I certainly hope it's like Queensland it Raceway. Um, I'd, you know, I'd love to race there. It's obviously, that was my test track there for many years. I know the place inside and out. So uh, while I've got this form on our side, um, I'd love to go to a track that I reckon I reckon the team at BJR will be pretty competitive at too. So uh, it'll, it'll probably end up being the Queensland Supercars Championship by the end of the year, maybe yeah, with the Gold Coast as well. Who, who knows? But um, look, hey, I don't care where it is as long as we're racing. We're, we're just obviously thinking of you know people like yourself that are stuck in lockdown. It's so frustrating and we'd love to get on with our lives. But at the same time, it is a serious matter. And we're trying to respect that as much as we can as a sporting code. But uh, yeah, you know, hopefully we can keep racing and put on a show for everyone that's watching at home because you know those people are doing it tough and they want some entertainment and it was great to see, you know, the response from the fans over the over social media and stuff saying, you know, it was great to have such good racing on TV, obviously while being stuck at home and not much else of much else to do. Mate, you uh, you're doing it well. Thank you so much. You guys have put on a fantastic show and you're a big part of that at the moment. Look forward to catching up with you again later on in the year. Loved having the chat to you, mate, and uh, all the best as we head into what should be a spectacular finish at the Gold Coast in December. Thanks, guys. No, always great to have a chat with you guys and um, look forward to doing it again soon. All right, Krause, an amazing weekend, as you said, of racing, not just supercars, but also Formula One, Silverstone, cool. back over 320,000 people. 360, mate. 360 over weekend. That yeah. was an amazing crowd, 140,000 on race day. And gee whiz, things looked like it was just three years ago. <laughs> yeah, they did. What a race, though. And I, I feel like that it was a turning point in the World Championship there, not necessarily in the way it's going to play out, but in the way it's going to be fought out. And all of it occurred on lap one of the Formula One sprint on Saturday and lap one of the British Grand Prix on Sunday with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton going at it. Uh, this has now gone beyond just a really hard rivalry. Um, it's gone into all-out war, I think, and that's great. That is what we've been looking for for, what, seven seasons mm, of this hybrid yeah. era that we've, in some respects, suffered through, I think, with with Mercedes being dominant and the cars being a bit antiseptic at times and um, not a lot of competition. Um, she's ratcheted up in the final year of the current rule set, and it's just great, great sporting theatre as Formula One should be. And and it's it's what it needs to be week in, week out. And this year's delivered plenty. I thoroughly enjoyed the British Grand Prix. And I'm sure our expert Formula One man, Shebeki, who's been watching Formula One, I'll get in trouble for saying this, longer than I've been alive. He was watching it when it was Formula Two. <laughs> Dale, do you remember Rogers? Dale Rogers on the show. Do you remember the uh, 1950 British Grand Prix that kicked off the Formula One? 
No, that one I wasn't. That one I wasn't at uh, Krause, but I do. I do recall uh, seeing just recently, actually, um, the '87 Grand Prix where uh, Britain again went mad with uh, Mansell Mania when he took on yes. PK, lapped the field in the Cannon Williams cars, and, and it reminded me watching this the other night that it was that sort of crowd. I don't think we've seen that sort of um, hype and event. Uh, since about that time, it was. We've all been to Silverstone. It's an amazing place. It's a huge place when you actually go there physically. It's it's enormous. But the helicopter shots of that circuit, the crowd was there. The manicuring was just something out of this world. And it really, it it just regardless of what we think of Boris opening up London or England, it was an extraordinary turnout for a, for a Grand Prix. And the place was ju- it just looked absolutely fantastic. So a couple of things for for mine, Krause and Tony. Um, a lot of talk about the qualifying uh, setup. Um, Formula One tried something very new with a 17-lap sprint race. There's a lot of talk about was it qualifying or not qualifying. It was qualifying because it qualifying was divided into a couple of stages. You had to qualify on Friday, then you had to go and race. For the, a lot of the purists, and boy, and I, I am one, um, said that the qualifying should be set and that just should be a race for points. I think the fact that they've tried it, there's a lot of commentary around it, has been a really good thing. It did actually give a lot of spice to the Saturday program. The F2 races were great. But for the, for people who were going there, they actually saw a short, sharp sprint race. Whether it counts for points or qualifying in the future, I think as a, something to do during the season, it was outstanding and it should be continued uh, for sure, my, my view on that one. Yeah. I- can, I, can I just – just one quickie um, – I've got to say, I'm so impressed with Michael Massey over the weekend. I actually think his performance was man of the match, the way he batted back uh, the fuming Christian Horner and the out-of-control Toto Wolf with his drawings um, uh, was something that was basically, don't they know who actually the stewards are? Well, clearly Toto didn't because he didn't even know where they were. Mm. Um, But, yeah, look, some great things, Richie. I I totally agree. Great event. Yeah, look, I I don't disagree with you on the sprint thing, but... Let, let's just call it a race. I, I don't yep. think it needs it to be classed as qualifying. I, and there are a thousand championships around the world, our own included, that have that use one race to set the grid for another. Progressive yep. grid. It's in the national standing race meeting regulations in the Motorsport Australia rulebook. Um, but it, it's a race by any other name on the weekend. So let's just call it a race. There, there's probably a separate stats column to rank it because it's not a Grand Prix victory. You're not going no. the full 300 Ks plus a lap or whatever it is. No. It shouldn't count as an actual race, Formula One race win. So no. you just add another column, qualifying race win or sprint yeah. race win. Sprint racing, yeah. No problems. Yeah. Um, but qualifying, I feel, on, on the Friday night UK time, it was an amazing session. It was yeah. brilliant and it was right. energy charged. And that should count as a pole position for Lewis Hamilton in, in my in my eyes as a, as a statistician as well in, in motorsport. He, that he deserved the pole stat for that lap alone. And I, I don't think Max Verstappen, even though he won the sprint, I don't think he deserved the pole stat. But it does get a bit cloudy when he doesn't start from pole on the Grand Prix itself, but you, you get around that. But I love the format. I like that they're innovating. I, I don't think it needs to happen at every race, but the, the big marquee ones like that when there's a, a crowd to entertain. Um, yeah, outstanding. It was a very, very cool show. And it was real punchy, racy mm. stuff. Yeah, you see, people will say to you, though, that it's exactly the same as running a, a top 10 shootout, isn't it, after, quali- after qualifying? No, but I don't think it is, Shebex, because two cars can't come in together with each other in a top 10 shootout. Yeah. It's, yeah so it's I- imagine if Max and Lewis had chunted each other in the sprint rather than the Grand Prix. 
Um, there was potential of that in the first two turns. Well, there was, and that's what made it great. It added so much more weight to it than if it was with the fullest of respect than if it was Lewis and Valtteri Bottas doing it because they're probably not going to carve each other up because they're not, they're not Nico Rosberg. Um, What it also did, Rich, is it actually changed this tyre strategy from qualifying because, um, you know, Fernando went soft specifically in the race, but in in the sprint. But basically, you had to, you really had to qualify the way, but then all all tyre bets were off because you could put whatever you wanted on the car. So it actually took that out of play as well, which has been a great strategic play as well in qualifying. So I think there's a lot to refine, I agree. But but I think package-wise, they're on the right track. Yep. And Dale, what we saw in the sprint race between... Verstappen and Hamilton was fantastic to see that that translated also into the first lap of the uh, the main race. For sure, Tony. This accident was always going to happen, whether it was here, <laughs> whether it was Spa, whether it's Austria. It was always going to happen. Um, these two have been raising the bar. They've been niggling each other. There's been lots of you know side wheel being. The question is 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 you know was it was it on? Was the pass on? Did Max close him down? Did Lewis have the space? I actually think that the fact that I forget whether it's 10 second or 15 second penalty, I think what effectively stewards have said is that it's a racing incident um, in essence, although a small penalty has been applied. And and I reckon at the end of the day, that's right. I love um, old mate, Dr. Marco going completely off his tree saying that Hamilton should be banned. Imagine if he had been an Australian, he would have been thrown out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so look, but the passion is great, isn't it? it, and, it and it brings that back. The world's been talking about it. It's been on every news service. Boy, it was a big crash. But interestingly, Massey, I, I really take, again, Michael's point. He said the stewards actually, uh, that their decision is is made on what actually occurred. Not the not outcome. Outcome. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. and, and, if, and if Max had been a 360, come spearing back on the track in front of Lewis, that's a different outcome. But the accident itself was still the same. So it's a very important point. It had nothing to do with Max going into the wall that the stewards did. It is. It was their, their view of whether or not the actual incident deserved a penalty. And in their eyes, it was a 10-second penalty. So I think overall, they've done the right thing. Yeah, I, I yeah. again, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, I, and as I watched it live, my instant thought was penalty. Yeah. But as it played out and as um, Karun Chandok, who is brilliant on the Skypad for Sky F1, mm. um, as he laid out, the analysis with all the angles that he's got in the slow-mo stuff. I, I went, I, I sort of graduated back to it being a racing incident. Yep. Um, in the end, my sort of thought before the penalty came out was I'll cop it. If it's a racing incident, I'll cop it. If Lewis gets a penalty, but I probably didn't want Lewis to be rubbed out completely. No. And, and as I think Brundle said it during the race that, you know, the FIA has a, a penalty matrix, much like we do in supercars. Um, it could have been five seconds. It could have been 15, could have been a drive through. They went 10, which is a whack across the wrists. Okay. It's probably more your fault than the other guys play on. What it did was add an enormous level of other interest into the race, which was Hamilton blazing his way through the field and ultimately winning with three laps to go. Mm. Um, which brings us on to the next topic is that I reckon Charles Leclerc is driving better now than he did in the season where he won races, what, three years ago, two years ago when Ferrari were actually good. He's having one of those seasons where a great driver lifts a not particularly great car up by the scruff of its neck and delivers outstanding results. Yeah. I think uh, Daniel was probably pleased it was science behind him and not Leclerc. Yes. Um, 
because I agree, I think he's driving brilliantly. You know, you, you'd have to think he was a bit unlucky in the end that, that Lewis caught him, but Lewis was carving him up uh, pretty easily. But um, but on, on Ricardo, good effort for him. You know, that he wasn't yeah. far off, uh, off off Lando the whole thing. In fact, in uh, in Q3 and Q2, he actually, or Q1 and Q2, he actually was quicker. He was um, was only a, a tenth in, a, in the final qualifying. But he did hold science behind him in, in a car that was clearly suited to that track for 24 laps with mm. DRS on at least three occasions every lap. And he just positioned the car beautifully. You could see him in the run-up to Stowe. He, he, did, he moved once. He, did, he didn't zigzag around. Anything. He just drove a really, really cool race. And science could not get past him. The only way he's going to pass him if he, if he, if he clawed up and tried to punt up. But he just simply couldn't get close enough. I think to add insight to injury, though, of course, that Lewis, again, took a, another couple of cars scheming into cops, which yeah. you don't see too often. I mean, I, I've watched from inside that corner. It is frighteningly fast. Um, but, you know, just, just to say, well, look, I can do this anyway. But uh, uh, and, and down he goes. And I think the other thing which I, I thought was quirky but, but expected was um, it was nice to see Red Bull pull Perez in from P nowhere and make sure that Lewis didn't get the fastest lap. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good little strategy play, wasn't it? We should also remember too that Leclerc had a slow pit stop, didn't he? Yeah, that yeah, like oh, about yeah. four seconds, and so yeah. did Sainz. Yeah, yeah. And so would that have made a difference? Possible? Uh, we, we it, pro- it probably just changed the pass from being yeah. three laps to go to the last lap. So in yeah. a way, probably dudded us a last lap pass for the lead. Yeah. Uh, in which case, I would suggest the Ferrari would have become rather much wider than it than it had. He would have been blocking all the way down to Buckinghamshire. I would have thought, but um. Yeah, no, really cool race. The the theatre is strong with it this year, and it's just been so energised by Red Bull finally giving Verstappen a car that can that can perform week in week out on different tracks, and and Mercedes not being quite there. Um, yeah, I think to be one one happy driver that uh, they're going to Hungary next and not to Spa would be Max Verstappen because of any mm-hmm. track that's probably not going to punish him to the extent that a a Monza or a Spa would. Um, Hungary's probably the slowest track on the on the on the circuit and. Uh, uh, he'll be pretty sore when he hops back in that car. Though. Well, not in that car, because that car is in the rubbish bin, but a new car that he'll get. But, uh, yeah, yeah, great weekend. Really good. Enjoy and it. Can we, can we congratulate Sky Sports on their coverage? Uh, at times, sometimes they're to be wondering what the hell are you doing, but most of the time they just provide amazing opening scenes to their coverage. That stuff with the double-decker bus, that was just really, really well done. And uh, good on them. They're, they're trying different things, and it's just... It's all coming together really nicely, I think. Having said that, uh, I found on YouTube a version of the Channel 4 UK intro, which Ooh. had our own, the great barbecue, Mark Webber, uh, David Coulthard, a couple of Porsches, and Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise. Now, I'm not sure. It was six minutes. I don't know if it was an ad for Porsche. I don't know if it was an ad for Channel 4 or if it was an ad for Top Gun Maverick coming to cinemas near you soon. Um, I don't know what it was, but I liked it. I liked it either way. It was kind of cool. Um, they had some A-listers there too, didn't they? Harrison they did. Ford. You're right, though, Shebex. It's good coverage. But I tell you what, ours is, we, we do pretty good here in Australia for TV. Oh, I, yeah. At a like-for-like at a like level for sure. a tenth of the budget, I think we can be really proud of, of what we punch out down here. And I'm ridiculously parochial, but uh, it yeah. also puts food on my table. But And I sure do love food. But and, um, and did you see, they showed, I think it was on the Saturday, they showed the uh, Sky Sport office where they uh, do all their stuff out of now remotely, effectively. Yes. And it's, yeah, just, it's, it's, it's a place that's bigger than three MCGs. Yeah, well, that, that's, the, that's the F1. 
that's yeah, where that, F one are based. Yeah, they're they're, they're drawing from that because that's the old Tata setup that used to be at the back of Albert Park, which no longer no longer flies away, which is part of their carbon emission reduction program because they don't have to fly another 300 people in a, another jumbo jet around. Uh, I tell you what, what would be great and what would help this podcast is if we had their Formula One internet technology because uh, the uploads and downloads that they get, seriously, to transfer all those files back to Biggin Hill in the UK yeah. and then push them out to the... Oh, yeah, impressive. Anyway, good Grand Prix. Liked it. Liked it. Looking forward to Hungary. And uh, you get the feeling after that they go to Spa, assuming it hasn't been swept away in the floods. Um, and doesn't Orouge, Hamilton, Verstappen side by side have an airplane crash waiting to happen written all over it? Yeah, there's a, bit, there's a bit to come. Hey, uh, let's turn our attention to supercars and joining us for that chat. We say good day to Mark Walker, who jumps into the room as well. Hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. Hello, Dale. Hello, um, ha- have I missed anything? No. No, no, you, you missed the Grand Prix, so that's why oh, we thought we wouldn't include we... you because you got a baby, so it's a, oh, you got to get okay. your sleep. We did have Todd Hazelwood talking, uh, talking to us in depth about turning on tyres. Oh, yes. I, I, learned, I learned things. No, that's good. That's yeah. what we're here for, isn't it? Good chat. Good chat. How about that Townsville, hey? How about oh. that whole Townsville too? What, what a thing. Place. Yeah. Wasn't it good? Wasn't it just a great weekend of car racing? Hey, can I just say to anyone that's listening to us and is one of those fools that gets onto social media and posts comments like, how boring is supercar racing at the moment? Change the arrows. Do it. It's probably as good as it's been for a long, long time. Uh, sure, we're getting a consistent winner in Van Gisbergen, but for the last three years before that, we were getting consistent winner in Scott McLaughlin. But that's fine. The, there's people that are there challenging week in and week out, and the battles right throughout the whole thing are just fantastic. There's not much wrong with supercars right at this point, I wouldn't have thought. Correct. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but for mine, working out the power rankings this week was tough. Because it was mm. so inconsistent. It was all over the shop. You had guys up there, in, like Todd, up there in fourth in that third race. But it wasn't consistent. Last weekend, it was easy. Oh, Red Bulls are out in front by a mile. And everyone else was similar sort of places behind it. Whether it was the tyres that mixed it up a little bit. Because even you look at Chaz, you know, two-thirds and a 11th or ninth or whatever it was. It wasn't clear-cut consistent. This is your form over the weekend. So that's good that, you know, if that's what it takes the sprint format and mixing it up with the tyres to get all these different results, then more for it. But how about all the overtaking? How about the close racing? I thought we couldn't do this. I thought it was too much error and sports broken. <laughs> We've had it hammered into our heads for so long by these drivers that you can't race. Yeah, most of it by the one bloke who passes more cars than anyone, who just happens to be the championship leader. <laughs> yeah, I- irony, isn't it? Uh, Dale, I'd like to throw this one at you. Um with your blue oval hat on, my friend, Cameron Waters. Uh, huge weekend for the monster side of that garage, but they continue to be the most frustrating team in supercar racing because what we want every week is Bathurst 2020 or race two, Mount Pan 500 this year or final race, Taylor Ben. What we get is an event where one weekend Chaz goes 14th and 9th and he's absolutely anonymous to the next weekend going two wins, most points for the weekend, bang, 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 right back into the hunt as a contender. Really, really frustrating. He's third in the championship, but as long as he's that inconsistent, and I say he being the group, they're not going to win a title. 
No, I, and talk about boring. You never know what you're going to get out of the Dickford garages, do you? It's uh, it's a lottery every time. Uh, you know, it's amazing that, so from last week where the thing was lapped, uh, admittedly, yes, a longer race, but, but you know, this weekend it was a different car. So uh, it, it, it is frustrating because I think, you know, when you look at the guys that really are contenders for the championship uh, in the post-McLaughlin era, Cam Waters is one of them. I and mean, there's no question. His battles with Ben Gisberg and, you know, there's reminiscence of Bathurst there. It was fantastic racing between the two of them. Those last laps were brilliant um, when, when he came up. But, you know, being able to get that car turned on at the same track a week later with the same tyre is just bizarre. And then you've got, you look at it, Jack LeBrock was sort of nowhere for the weekend. He was, again, struggling in that in that back third. And then Courtney all of a sudden is seventh, then he's 17th, then he's ninth, then he's 21st. So of the three cars that they're pulling out, and I, I won't include the Slade car in that because that's an engine deal really only. I'll talk about Timmy in a minute. But the it, it is just extraordinary. You just do know what, you know what you're going to get when those cars are out of the garage. But you know with, with the people next to them, in the two garages up, the other end of the lane, Triple Eight and, and now DJR, who seem to have got it on song, more often than not, they're going to be in those top five cars. Well, yeah, and, and a bad race for Triple Eight is sixth and fifth yeah. <laughs> in the first yeah. race. Uh, raise your hands if you thought, and I realise that doesn't make for good podcasting, but if you thought that Shane would just sail past Cam and drive off into the oh, sunset in that absolutely. final race. Every race, all three of them. Yeah. Yeah, but didn't happen. And that's the best thing about that final race is that there was enough fight that he, he saw off Shane with a tyre advantage and and raced him to the end and beat him. That's great. And and just from a sport's sake, we need that to happen more often to get the kind of title fight that we're really, really looking for. Because um, like barring an airstrike, Shane's going to have this thing wrapped up very, very soon. Well, that's what I was going to say, Mark. Triple Eight don't have to go off running and worried about what happened on the weekend, though, do they? It was they they were competitive enough that things aren't an issue. No, but it's what happened in Townsville last year, where they smoked everyone the first weekend. They turned up week two. It's the same racetrack. Oh, you know the track conditions changed a bit, but for what that's worth, the the it was a polar opposite their performance last weekend to Saturday, wasn't it? Because everything was a bit of a battle. Obviously, Shane got screwed a bit on that top 10 shootout lap when Zane Goddard fenced himself. That wasn't ideal, probably cost himself a few spots there. But then he got the penalty in the race. He crashed into everyone and everything. So uh, he kind of got a little bit lucky with it. And Jamie was back there. He had his own penalty for speeding in pit lane. So it was a very un eight like Saturday. So that was just, that sort of did my head in. Obviously, that first race Sunday, they went back to doing triple eight things when they qualified up the front, but uh, it was a battle again in that third race. So Yeah, it, it shows how important quality is, and we talked about this with, with Todd earlier in the show, but like we, we said earlier, it, it's the difference between them and everybody else at the moment is that their bad day, and, and to be fair, it wasn't so much a car performance issue. Like you said, Mark, it was Shane getting dudded in the shootout lap and Jamie's penalty, but their bad day is sixth and fifth. Like every other team in the paddock would love a bad day at the office when your cars are both in the top six. And then they came out on Sunday and, and in that first race on Sunday, smoked everybody and put on a good show while doing it, which was entertaining in its own because they copped a dressing down afterwards from old RD. But um, yeah, there's still some work to do, certainly from a consistency point of view from everyone. And we've talked about this. If we've been consistent about one thing, it's this, that that team 
is the only super consistent team with multiple cars in the entire championship at the moment. Mm-hmm. Dale, Queensland Raceway becomes our next venue in four weeks' time. Uh, good to see it back on the calendar. Well, it's good to see a racetrack back on the calendar, Tony. Um, <laughs> that they may race at. This is this is a bit like you know this is scaring a bit AFL style, but uh, good on them. Yeah, they they moved quickly. They they could see what was going to happen. Queensland Raceway, you know, again we've we've been there a gazillion times. It it, it actually turns on pretty good supercar racing. Um, the sprint format the last couple of years there, or the last time they ran there, was pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I look I, it, of, of having the options available to them. It's a very very good choice uh, to, to bring them back from towns and put them there. I don't see any reason why we won't see a continuation of it. Uh, in the, the, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes we've been there and it's always, oh, the home teams are going to smoke it and the same in Winton, the Victorian teams are going to smoke it. It doesn't always happen. Uh, there's, there has been some upsets there before. And, you, you know, if there's a team that's going to deliver an upset, we've just spoken about it, it could be Tickford. Uh, but uh, expect, you'd have to expect that the, uh, the guys at that, that other end, on the other, other side of the tower, the DJR and, uh, and, and AAA boys should uh, be right on form. The, the, the ones that you've just got to watch, you just don't know, are the, are the likes of BJR who can, who, you know, not a great track for them. I thought Tim Slade um, did an awesome job on the weekend. You know, they had a wheel fall off, but uh, qualified really well. Great strategy from that little group, you know, pitted him every lap on laps, every race on lap six. It worked pretty well in every race. He's got a bundle of spots. That car is quick. If they can just get their weekend together, they could well be a, you know, knocking on the door of another top five. But uh, yet, yet, look, I thought uh, Queensland, can you really see anything else beating the, the, the ones that they're, they're pointing into the grid? The, the thing with Queensland Raceway, it's good for the sport that they're going back to southeast Queensland. I've been doing a lot of research on the early days of QR, and there were a lot of studies done before they built the place that a massive fan base for supercars is there. And it was even backed up by the article you did the other day, Rich, that showed the TV percentage for Brisbane, that it really bats above yeah. its average. So it's an audience that's uh, very much supercar-centric, which is good. So it's good that JT has been able to figure out a deal there. Um, throwing up the oddballs, it's a six-corner track. If you can jam together six corners, and they're all a bit of a compromise, because if you set your car up for the bumps or the fast corners, the tight corners, you've got to give something up. So it's finding that right compromise. We've seen it so many times over the years where you'd have a James Moffat jamming on pole or a Chris Pither or all these guys. It's wide open. It doesn't matter if you're Tickford or Red Bull. If you can jam that one lap out in qualifying, you are absolutely on like Donkey Kong. They've got to run the super duper soft, surely. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. With, with the limited tie bank. And so by race three, the left rear of every single car on that field will be absolutely shot, which will be yep. fantastic. Yep. You've got to run that. Uh, that'll be hugely entertaining. And, and scrub and, them with Steelo before they actually put them on the car. That's <laughs> probably a bit extreme. But, but no one would have tested on that either. So not that there's a testing advantage, I don't think, anyway. Um, uh, it'll still just further level the playing field and throw up some, some big results. But as we understand it, it's going to be a two-day event. Um, much like what we saw on the weekend at Reed Park in Townsville, um, Super Sprint format, um, Fox Sports. I, I'm hearing some little rumours around the traps, boys, that there might be some twilighty slash night stuff occurring there. That, cool. um, it, it And QR has been lit. I use the term lit loosely because it was more small puddles of light in selected places, but it has been illuminated for production car racing in the past. So... Cool. And since then, since then, Rich, they've put in some more sort of Mm. localised lighting around the place. So there's some base lights there that they can run spectator events outside of supercars. So there's no reason why they can't just bring in some extra coats, hide jobs and absolutely like to join up. 
And as Roy H. G. always say, you know, park your car on the fence, turn the lights on, and it's, you exactly. know, you're away. <laughs> Doesn't it get dark at four o'clock in Queensland at this time here? Yeah. Oh, that's Melbourne, yeah. mate. Oh. <laughs> I guess uh, the, the question, Tony, is uh, also uh, would be this calendar is okay. That gets that August event, which was the Sydney right night race away. We've still got some big battles on this calendar, you know, for this balance of the season, particularly our, uh, our October event. Yes, you would think that uh, if that's going to be late August for QR or, or middle August, then probably early September, second week of September, I think probably the bend would look as the next one and, and then off to Bathurst early October. <laughs> but it could be a really, could be a jam-packed finish October uh, through to December. We, uh, supercars are at the moment working on the assumption that Perth is happening. So they're pushing very, very hard for that to occur. And there's a couple of reasons around that. One, the WA government cash. Two, it's going to be a night race, so it'll rate really well. So it's good for TV, for Fox Sports, which and that'll be a Fox round. Um, but I, I find it unbelievable to think that that will happen, given mm. that that state is the worst in the country for snap border closures. Mate, they're shooting kangaroos for jumping over the border. Yeah. yeah they're not going to let people in. Cool. Yeah. Um, Politics on this show, but the emperor is in charge. What? No, it's the Independent Republic of WA. And hello to all of our West Australian audience. We we really do appreciate you. But and um, for our people, yeah. and for our people who are listening through Radio Show Limited's RS One, well, we, uh, they did want to succeed from Australia a few years ago, didn't they? Yeah, anyway, secession was definitely part of their idea. Yeah. I'm okay Hutt, River, Hutt River was just put up for sale. Let's put yeah, a round on there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Talk about a straight circuit, bit of rally cross. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I, the, the, interesting like one for, the interesting one for mine is that there's more or less now 10 weeks as we type until the Bathurst 1000. Sydney, I don't, Sydney's not out of strife for six weeks at no, least. No. And then there's another month on the end of that with what will be quite heavy restrictions and probably border yeah. closures. There was a precedent set last year where Bathurst moved a week, but I, I wouldn't put it out of the realms of possibility that Bathurst moves big time because that, that is the number one event on the calendar for TV. So sure you get big TV ratings if there's no one there, but it is also the number one revenue driver from an event perspective for supercars. So from the bottom line of that business, the difference between them putting that on with crowd and without is 5 million bucks. So the longer they can hold on to get a crowd there, it might not be a hundred thousand people, but a crowd of some decent number that can, that can bring some cash in. I got a feeling that they'll, they may move that event later in the year. And and that's based on nothing but my guesses and knowledge of, of how the sport operates. The problem with Bathurst is that it is a massive event. It takes 600 odd officials to make it happen. And you're not going to be able to draw that successfully Correct. from regional New South Wales if no. Sydney's still locked down. So mm. you, you need Sydney to get on top of it. And at the moment, they're not getting on top of it. So that's just going to snowball and keep causing dramas on down the line. The fact that they've still got dramas there. And but while in, that's a problem honestly, for Bathurst, the great thing for Bathurst is that they don't need to do anything to Bathurst. You just need to uh, take your things and put it on. Well, yeah, but you need it, people there to run it. Yeah. Oh correct. no, no, I totally understand that. But you don't have to. There's nothing you have to do to the track. You don't have to set up barriers, all that sort of stuff. No, you, you'd be surprised how much prep there actually not, is. But, it's not your street circuit in Gold Coast, is it? But but it's also it's a remarkably expensive place to put a car race on. Yeah. Um. It, it's sort of, it's not quite building a, a racetrack from scratch like a street circuit, but it's it's much much more than rocking up to the bend and opening the gates. So you need your support categories rocking up. You need 
them paying their bills to be there. You need your crowds, your corporates, especially generate so much camping. I mean, the 40,000 people camp there. It's yeah. such, there's 9,000 campsites at 200 bucks a pop. You do the maths. So yeah, I'm just spitballing here, but it would not surprise me if the rest of the year is based on what happens with the Bathurst 1000 and that what happens with that event is based on what happens with Sydney and, you know, teams will quarantine out of Melbourne to go to the 1000, but unless New South Wales is open to, to having big events at that point, it's going to be a massive battle in my opinion. And, and I could be completely wrong. They've, they've I, I think you're up. right, Rich. And of course, New Zealand also is a, uh, you know, you've got to put a question mark on that as well, because no, that, that, that's just driven by which state they're opening the bubble from. So I, I think that's going to be a very, very tough one to do. So I, I mean, I don't envy their task. They did a great job last year and they're doing a great job this year uh, to your original question, Tony, about the um, uh, Queensland Raceway. But uh, yeah, they've got some huge mountains to climb. Uh, New Zealand run three weekends in a row. <laughs> On three different tracks. Yeah, well, they get, can, but there'll just, be no cars there. You'll just get locked down by the, the, when you step off a plane. That's the problem. It's like going to Perth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if they're going to swap the cars in the middle of a season, then why don't they just go to the New Zealand tourers, the super oh. tourers, and use those? Oh, here we go. That's <laughs> exactly oh, the same as going to Gen 3 in August of next year. Hey, the, the other one about Queensland is the Shannon's ran up Morgan Park can this week, which yep. I find a great shame because, Rich, we've been to the Shannon's rounds that were held there back in the day. And they, were some the the, they lived up to the hype. There was hype. Mm. But in my opinion, this sort of second tier Shannon's thing, they could take ownership of all these other tracks that supercars don't go to, couldn't they? Yeah. I, I'm expecting news around that and Malala later this year. Good. Bit but of that's, that's if but yeah, TCR right. lobbed up to Mala, you'd own it. You'd pack it out because everyone would get all nostalgic and lob up there. You yeah. go to Wakefield Park, you go to Morgan Park, go to these markets where there isn't supercar saturation. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get people driving hundreds of Ks out at Warwick to get a glass of water. They're going to drive that far to go to race meetings. And we've proven it before with a two-bit operation like Walker and Crail promoting the thing. (laughs) It's not that hard. If you've got a team and a a budget behind you like Mm. they do at the Shannons these days, you'd absolutely smash it out there. So it's a shame that that's not going to happen. Can we add Calder Park to that list? No. That's a show on its own, Dale. We need to get to the bottom of why that joint is falling apart and not doing anything. Because because... there's there's not enough antidote for the snake bites in the world. (laughs) We'd need to get... uh, We should get Rodney Jane on one night. I'll put a request uh, in. uh, Uh, He's a a ripper bloke, but... Yeah, why not? It'll be interesting. 15 minutes I'm, from Tullamarine. Seriously, that, that joint should be the yeah. busiest racetrack in this country. Yeah. I have heard I that they're going to film the next John Wayne uh, Western at Calder now with the amount of tumbleweeds that are going down. Yeah, but that, that's unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because he's dead. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> catch you guys next week. And we're it was lovely to have the four of us together again. It was that's beautiful. good. I like it. Hey, uh, we're going to be in the next coming weeks doing our media review. We're halfway through yeah. the Supercar Championship. We're going to grade them like the school kids that they are. A's and B's and little Johnny must try harder. Uh, so if you're listening, put some thought in, jump on the socials at the Race Talk and let us know where your favourite driver gets a grade so far this year. Actually, don't tell us where your favourite driver goes because you give them an A. Tell us where the driver you dislike has gone. And in this school, we don't hold back with the cane and the strap. We will give it if we have to. Are we allowed to do that? Don't you worry uh, about that. Things have turned totally Shebeki again. I like not, it. Not <laughs> everyone gets a medal in this school, let me tell you. 
No way. Great. Catch you next week, boys. And catch you too. Thanks for joining us right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.